Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Uh, this understanding of, you know, your desire to be able to be identified, not that you identify. I'm not asking you if you're a Christian. I, I don't care what you say about yourself. This is this, like, I, it's great. This is the whole point of this. It is so great for you and for me that we come into a room like this and we sing that song and we proclaim the promises of God and we lift our hands and we, you know, we clap and we give high fives and we got our whole little lingo here and we say, let's go and you, you know, bring them on. Like all that stuff is great, but this is not the most important thing. Like who you are when you leave this place, who people say you are, when they see you, what do they come away saying about you? Are you different? Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you, you generous? And some of you will say something like this. Well, I have nothing to prove. I got nothing to prove to anyone. And I would argue that that's not true. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you can read the verse. He says, you're going to become powerful when the Holy Spirit comes all on you. But you're not going to be powerful just to become powerful, right? Like, that, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? The whole, we have a whole generation of people who go to the gym. They have muscles for nothing. You know what I'm talking about? You don't play sports. Don't do anything. You just have muscles, right? And that, that's fine. I'm glad for you. I wish I had those, right? But the Bible says you're going to have spiritual muscles for a reason. What's the reason going to be? Not to be impressive, not to have good church services. What does he say? And you're going to go out and be my witnesses. I would argue that the pressure is on us, that it does matter what other people think about you. That when you begin to make claims that God loves you and God saved you and God forgave you and, you know, he died on a cross for your sins and he rose on the third day and he breaks addictions and all these things that, it, to be honest with you, if they're not true, they're crazy, right? And so they're either 100% true or we are 100% stupid for doing what we do. But if it's true, we're making these claims and the pressure is on us in our everyday lives to prove them. I'll give you an example. A uh, guy that goes to our church named Kyle. Some of you know him. He coaches our softball team. When he first started coming here, he broke my hand with his handshake. Anybody, you know, do you guys, if you met Kyle, you know who I'm talking about. And so, uh, and, and he broke my hand and I found out he was a professional baseball player. He played, he was a pitcher. And so then it started making sense. You got a He-Man grip because you were a professional baseball player. But still, when somebody tells you you're a professional baseball player, you hear them, right, with a little bit of pessimism, right? Like, you're like, well, whatever. Like, professional baseball player and so last year we started playing softball and he was the coach and we we threw you know we would throw the ball back and forth and I used to think I threw the ball hard my ball when it goes in the air it just goes his ball when it goes in the air it makes a sound I'm not even lying to you it goes like a comic and I and I once I played catch with him to warm up and he, he literally I didn't want to tell him he was hurting my hand I I started, you know, and, and so this year he's like, you want to warm up? I'm like, no, not with you. I don't want to warm up with you. But here's the thing about it. If somebody tells you they're a professional at something, the weight is on them to show you. It's not on me, right? And this is what I'm, like, you should go out into the world and understand the responsibility you've been given as a follower of Christ and then take it serious. There's one thing to check the boxes in here. Anybody have a teenager has a permit? It's one thing to take a permit test. It's another thing to be road tested. It's another thing to go out and drive and yield and stop 
and turn and all those things that you, you can take the test. Okay, I'm supposed to stop here, you know, stop sign. It, you know, if it has a white ring around it, it's optional. It says that somewhere. And so it's not true. I'm just telling you. And so, you know, the, all these things, it's another thing. It's another, don't, don't, don't answer that on the test. And so you'll flunk. It's another thing to go out and be, be road tested. And so here's my, my goal for you is I want you to pass the test in your life. I want people to come away from being around you and going, Jesus is real. Jesus changes people's lives. Jesus, he shifts people's perspectives. He changes their, you know, the way they are in interactions, the way they, they respond. So I want to show you some areas of my life and maybe of your life you can relate to that if I'm not careful, I lose the credibility of my witness. I told you last week, I said, your witness is what you do in outside of church in everyday life. And you can lose the credibility of your witness without even noticing it. So I want to show you some ways. I want to drop you into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this passage. What I love about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, they call it the love, the love chapter. Here's what love is. But right before the author Paul lists out what love is, he describes, you know, the church. And, and the reason he's doing this is because the church at that time was birthed in a culture that was a lot like America. You know, I, I was reading a thing this week about why pastors quit the ministry, right? It was a blog I ended on, and I was like, well, let me just find out why you want to quit. And so, and, and so they quit the ministry. And the one pastor said, I thought, he said, the reason I quit the ministry is not pastoring or preaching. or He said, I quit because it's an endless cycle of people never changing, he was like, I just got tired of talking to people about changing, and they just would listen, and it would go in one ear and out the other, which is a problem in America. Like, you can sit in church and live in sin and just come back. We don't do church discipline. In the Bible, they did discipline. They would kick you out, and they would not eat with you because you claimed to be a Christian. They were so concerned about the, the, the reputation of the church, and it was so new, and they were trying to change the world, that they would say, hey, go figure out your crap. If you want to live like the world, go live like the world. But if you're going to claim to be a Christian, guess what you got to live like? A Christian. And so I understand that, and I get this culture, right, this culture in Corinth. It was so worldly, yet they would come together, and they would do this whole thing we do. They would have a pretty church service. They would have prophecy. Somebody would preach eloquently because it was, you know, in Greece and, and Greek, and Greek culture was so poetic, and they would speak eloquently, which is why they couldn't stand Paul because Paul was just... You know, he wasn't, and so, uh, and so they would speak eloquently, and they would play good music, and they would have a good plan on planning center, and the lights would come up at a certain time, and they would come down, and the kids' ministry was perfect, and so Paul tells them, in the midst of all this, you guys are living like Jerry Springer, an episode of Jerry Springer. You got family members sleeping together. You got people celebrating that. You got nobody holding anybody accountable. So 1 Corinthians chapter 30, he, he tells them, listen, you can preach in the tongues of men and angels, but if you don't have love, you're a resounding gong, a clanging symbol. You can have the gifts of prophecy and all the other things that we brag about, but if you don't have love, if you don't show it, if it's not being seen through your life, none of this makes sense. In other words, you can do all this, but if we don't leave and treat people differently and see people differently and change the way we respond to people, none of this matters. And then he goes through this list, which we're going to kind of use as our guiding, our guiding light for the next few weeks. 
He starts off with what I think is funny because the thing he starts off with is the one thing that I'm absolutely awful at. Like you'll find it funny because you preach sometimes on things that you are not good at and you just pray God speak through me because I know you haven't done it in me yet. Like this is, this is, this is, this is part of being a priest. Like you, you, sometimes you preach about things, you're like, I should not preach about this because I'm so far away from it. And I wanted to just skip over it and like come back to it in six weeks when I could work on it. But the truth is I'm 42 and I still haven't figured it out. So there was no talent. So I said, I'm just going to take this one first and pray that it speaks to me and you can listen as well. Watch what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, don't forget the very first thing love is love is what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> the thing that most of us struggle with, patience. He tells us firstly that this love that we have in us is best understood through the patience that we display through us. And let's just be honest. I don't know if you're like me, but I lose my patience often. Often. It's the thing I lose the most. I started thinking about my life and why I lose it so much. And most of the time, I blame people. Anybody else? Like, if I could just live by myself, have my kids, you know, for fun days and be married on for fun occasions, but then just kind of hunker down by myself, I feel like I would be a patient person. I was way more patient in 2020, by the way, when none of you were here. I would walk up here. I would preach one message. Nobody would show up late. Nobody would complain. No, it wasn't too cold or too hot. It was just right for me, right? You were all online. We would talk online. Hey, it's good to see you, but I don't really see you. And I'm super patient. I got a physical donut. I was so relaxed in 2020. It was ridiculous, right? Like, it was like I was living on a deserted island that was paradise. Like, it was amazing. Let's just be honest. Why do we lose our patience most of the time? We have to be around people. It is the hardest part of our life. Some of you know this. Like, you have a business, and you could grow right now and expand and make more money and move it forward, but you don't want to because you don't want to deal with any more people. Some of you teachers, let's be honest, you're not coming into summer soaring. You've crashed and burned. And you're just trying to make it through and you're tired of dealing with people. We lose it when we're driving. It's people. We lose it all the time. It's probably why Paul told the church of Thessalonica. Watch what he says. I love this verse. It's, it's interesting. He says, and we urge you. He's like, it's like he's saying, please, brothers and sisters. Warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak. Watch what he says. It's almost like in parentheses. And by the way, when you're doing all this, be patient with everyone. You see the situations he gives? They're all people situations. The idle and disruptive. You know what I'm talking about. Anybody the justice police here? People just get on your nerves because they're not doing the right thing and you notice it all the time? I was out to eat a, a, a breakfast on Friday, and I noticed things at a restaurant because I was a waiter. So I see things differently. And one of my pet peeves, I'm just going to tell you, this is in the Bible somewhere, is when they seat you somewhere, sit there, don't ask to be moved. It's annoying when you ask to be moved because that waiter has been waiting to get a table because they make $2 and whatever an hour. They need to wait on you so that you can tip them. By the way, tip them good. But when you move to somebody else's section, not only do you mess it up for them, 
them, but the other person gets in the weeds, and all of a sudden your food takes a couple extra minutes, and then the same people, what do they do? You complain because your food took too long. So just sit there. So I'm sitting there, I'm eating my, eating my food. I love founding farmers, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm imagining I'm on a fake vacation, and I'm with my wife, and my kids are at school, and you know, I'm noticing this is only two more weeks of this, and they're going to be home, and there's no more of this, and so we're enjoying it. And a couple sits behind me, and I can hear them look up. There's a little bit too much air blowing on them, whatever, and they ask to be moved. And as they're walking away, the justice police kick in. Am I, am I, I'm like, can you, did you see them, Leah? They're disruptive. And she says, why do you care? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) And you want to act all godly and self-righteous, but the truth is you have the problem. You're an impatient person. Did you see the other situations? He says, encourage the disheartened in a patient way. You ever talk to somebody and you just keep talking to them and they never change? They just keep going and you're like, I just can't with you anymore. I'm not a counselor, I'm not getting paid, I cannot deal with your just talking and not doing anything, and you lose your what? The Bible says stay patient. Patient with the weak. I started thinking about who who are the weak people often in our lives, the elderly? Isn't it amazing how often we get impatient with people that are older than us, that have raised us? We're like, oh my God, hurry up. The whole time I'm thinking, if God could come down and slap you, he would. (laughs) The reason they move like this is because of you. They pushed you out, they raised you, you gave them stress, you helped them clog their arteries, you did all these things to them, and then they get to the age where you should be honoring them, and they're slowing you down. And by the way, just want to remind you something, how you treat those older than you are how the younger are going to treat you someday. Write that down somewhere. I'm consistently reminded of that when I'm looking at my ungrateful kids thinking, you better take care of me someday. What are they seeing? He says, be patient with people. Let me, let me just give you another area I lose my patience, my problems. I, I just, sometimes I just think to God, enough's enough. Like, when, when can I just be done with problems? Like, I've met my quota. I've done my thing. I'm a man of the cloth. Like, why am I? And I just, I just find myself getting in problems, and instead of giving God praise and singing his promises over my life and being patient and resting in the Lord and doing what Isaiah says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, they'll run and not go weary, they will walk and not go go faint, like doing all the things that I read on my coffee mug at home that it says to do, you know what I'm saying, and like the things we sing about, what do I do when I get into a situation that's a problem? I freak out. I lose my patience. I can't stand when somebody drives slow in front of me. I can't stand when somebody takes too long in front of me to decide what they're ordering at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Order, right? Well, my kids, for the thousandth time, do, don't do something I ask them to do. Like, just don't do that. And then they go back and do it. I lose my, my patience. I lose my patience when things break in my house. Oh, this is so annoying. It never, it never ends. You ever say that? No matter how much that, that I get it, something's always breaking. No matter how much I fix, it's never done breaking. Like there's always something. It never ends. And the whole time I'm losing my patience, it's, it's like not a big deal. Like I lost my patience today again. It's not a big deal. Imagine if we do this in other areas of our life. I lost my keys today. Not a big deal. 
That is always a big deal. I lost my wallet. Somebody stole my identity today. It's been a, not a big deal. I lost my kid today. I got two other ones. Right? Like, we'll do this. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, so we know all those things are a big deal. But as a Christian, we'll lose our patience and we'll just, I lost my patience. What if we started understanding that the more you lose your temper, the more you lose your testimony? The more that you lose your temper, the more that you overreact, the, the more impatient you are in this life, the more, let me just, the more complaining you are. Because complaining is a sign of impatience. I don't know if you knew that. Like impatience or being a patient person is not just waiting, but it's in the way that you wait. Like the bad demeanor, the bad attitude, the complaining. Like what if you began to understand the more that you acted like that, the more that people look at you and go, you're a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. And I started thinking about different stories in scripture where, where patience is displayed in a way that I don't even understand, that I haven't ever touched. And of course you could have went to Jesus. The Bible says when he was on the cross that he patiently endured the cross for the joy set before him. It would have been a perfect story. Uh, but I landed on the story of a man named Stephen. And uh, I love the story of, of, of Stephen. You know, of course we have the same, same name. And so anytime I can preach on him, I'm gonna. And so, but the other reason is I look at his, the end of his life and I just think to myself, what a, an act and a level of patience that I need to have a goal for in my life. Like, I need to, I need to ex, like get to this spot. And so this amazing story. He preaches this message. He's the first, one of the first deacons of the early church. If you don't know what a, a deacon is, you haven't been a part of a church for a long time. But usually the deacons and the pastors and the pastor's kids and the deacons, they fight and the pastor leaves and all this other stuff. And so, so he was the first deacon. But his original job as a deacon in the early church is the early church was meeting the needs of, of widows and, you know, physical needs of the community, and they weren't having enough time to actually preach the gospel, the apostles. And so the apostles said, we're going to focus on preaching the gospel. Let's vote some men in and some women in that are filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can meet the physical needs of, of, of the community because we're here not for ourselves, we're here for the community. So Stephen is one of those first deacons. And uh, he has a chance one time to preach. He preaches this message to, to, to the, these listeners. And the Bible says they get so mad, they want to kill him. They got convicted. Most of the time, conviction is not received like ice cream. Conviction initially ticks us off. That's just the way that it works. Anybody, anytime somebody tells us, you're not doing something right, you need to change, our initial reaction, because we're prideful, we get mad. Or we say, he's not talking to me, he's talking to the person down the road, right? We do this all the time in church. And conviction is a good thing if you understand it, because it comes from the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit telling you, I got more for your life. You're, you're not living to the, the, the level that I want you to live. But they get mad. The Bible says in, in, in Acts chapter 7 that the members of the Sanhedrin in verse number 54, when they heard him preach, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I don't know what that looks like, but I think the writer Luke is trying to tell us they're, they're, they're ticked off, right? And so, but the Bible says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and they yelled at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him. Church people can be very immature sometimes, right? Think about how your kids act when they're mad. They did the exact thing. Covered their ears, nah, 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 and they rushed at him, right? And so, church people. And so, the Bible says uh, that they drug him out of the city, and they began to stone him. I want you to picture this. 
If there was a moment where you could lose your patience and, your, and complain, it's this moment. He's being dragged out of the city because he preached the gospel, the message of Jesus. And now they're beginning to throw large stones at him. The Bible says, meanwhile, the witnesses uh, laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, which would go on to be, become Paul. He'd be the greatest missionary we, the world has ever seen. But this is where he started. Uh, the Bible says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out. I love this part. This is a sign of patience. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And at this, he fell asleep. And I started thinking about this situation. I want to show you just a few times that in situations like this, I think that they are the reason we lose our patience. First one is this. First one is this. We lose our patience when we live on empty. I don't know if you've noticed this or not about the way we live in America. And maybe it's because my kids are getting older and I literally feel like a chauffeur. Uh, I feel like it never stops. Anybody else have kids that are getting older? You literally... You'll spend hours at, at sports, school functions, after school functions, dropping them off at fields, picking them up as soon as they text you as if you have nothing else to do with your life. School projects being told to you at 11 o'clock at night that is due the next day. Lunches needing to be made, chores needing to be done, bills needing to be paid. And that's just life. You also need to breathe. And all these other things that you, and I don't know if you notice this, but I feel like most of the time in my life, if I'm, if I'm truthful with you, that I live my life in a very empty state. Where I'm, I'm exhausted. Anybody, am I, am I literally exhausted? Like I'll get to Sunday and I'll be like, it just felt like Sunday. Sometimes I wake up on Saturday night and, and I, I'm like in a cold sweat and I'm like, tomorrow can't be Sunday. And my alarm goes off at 3.45, and guess what day it is? It's Sunday. And you got to do it all over again. And you come up, even, whatever you do in your life, I don't know about you, but you come up, and you try to give your best, but you just feel like you're living on empty. And what I've known is when I'm living on empty, I'm constantly stressed out, and I tend to overreact. I tend to allow every situation to mess with me. I, I, I tend to lose my patience because I feel like I don't have enough time to deal with it. When I'm parenting my kids and it's for the thousandth time I'm trying to explain to them in a calm way not to do something. I don't have time for this. I don't even have time to patiently parent you because I got to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, P. So just do it. And then my house is all crazy and my kids are talking to each other like that out in the yard. They're embarrassing me. I'm like, where'd you learn to talk like that? You. And the truth is I'm living on empty. And I think we even think to ourselves, this is the way life has to be. It has to be like this. It has to be frantic. It has to be chaos. I'm not supposed to enjoy life. I know the Bible says that I'm supposed to live a blessed life and a life of, of abundance and a life of peace and a life of joy and a life with purpose. But who has time for all those peas? I'm going to live a life of chaos. And I want you to see something in this. How did he, how did he respond? This is chaos, is it not? They drag him off the pulpit 
out of the city. They take their coats off. You ever been in a fight when somebody's coat comes off? You know something's about to go down. They take their coats off. They lay it at the feet of, of Saul. Saul is giving them their blessing. Go stone this dude. And they begin to stone him. And at somehow, he remains in a state that most of us can't remain in while we're driving or dealing with our toddlers. The Bible says he stays in a patient state. And here's why. Watch what the Bible says. It says, but Stephen in this situation, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Why do so many of us overreact, lose our, lose our patience, freak out over every situation? Because we live on empty. What is the antidote? Be full of the Holy Spirit. It is, it is so simple, yet so profound. Be full of the Holy Spirit. What happens is the pressure around you is greater than the presence in you. And when the pressure around you is greater than the pressure in you, uh, what happens? You, you get destroyed. So what do, what do you do? You allow his spirit to be greater in your life. And I started thinking about that. Anybody, anybody history fans in here? History fans, history fans in Montgomeryville? I love, I love history. I love to go to Valley Forge. I, I, love, I love to go to places where I see how people used to live. And I always think to myself, I'm such a pansy. <laughs> like if I walk into my house and it's not perfect, the air's not perfect. I, I sleep, like they slept on hay. You know what I'm talking about? Like hay. The bed was like this long. You ever go into like George Washington's house over here? The bed, you're like, how did he sleep on that? Dude was six foot four, right? Like, how did he sleep? I am such a baby. I get a, a back cramp, right? If I sleep the wrong way on my posturpedic mattress, right? And like, you just think to yourself, and I started thinking about the way old houses work. Old houses, I always think to myself when I go to an old house, man, this must have really been tough when it was really hot outside. What did it feel like? What did they smell like? How was that in marriage, right? Like, what, did, what a mood ruiner, right? Like, what did you, oil do you spray on to cover that, right? And so, and like, I just think that, it, and, and, and the outside determined the inside. So if it was hot, it was hot. If it was cold, it was cold. But I started thinking about our new houses. Aren't you glad we live in an era that even though it's 95 degrees outside, that some of us have central H, HVAC in there? I don't want to brag to some of you who don't, but it's the greatest invention in the history of mankind. Sell a kidney and get some HVAC in your house, right? <laughs> like when you walk, it's hot, and you walk into your house, and you see your thermostat set to 67. I love that invention because the outside does not determine the inside. This is what he's telling. If you get filled with the Spirit of God, the outside will not influence the inside, but too many of you live on empty. So what does he say to do? I love what he says. He says, do not get drunk in Ephesians 5 on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, in other words, what is he saying? What is the one thing most of us want to do when we want, we want to get through life? We want to cope. I'm going to fill my life with the substance to get myself through. What does he say? Here's the substance you need. The substance you need is the Holy Spirit. Allow him to fill you up. Make time for him to fill you up. Ask him to fill you up. Here's what you need to remember. Every time you freak out this week, every time you freak out, it is a spiritual indicator that you're running on empty. It's like the gaslight of your life. It's not the situation, it's not the problems, it's not the people, it's that you're not filled with the Holy Spirit in your life. And so what are you gonna do every time that you, I'm gonna freak out right now, no, no. This is the indicator, something's struggling in my life, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop, and I'm gonna give time to the Lord, I'm gonna allow him to fill me up. Let me just give you two more thoughts. Two is this, number two is uh, oftentimes we lose our focus uh, or our patience when we lose our focus. 
First thing is we live on empty. Second thing, we lose our patience when we lose our, our focus. Do you see what he did right here? He did the classic uh, thing that you teach your kids to do at the doctor. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you go to the doctor and your kids get shots, what is the first thing you tell your kids? Hey, watch what he does. Don't trust the doctor. What do you tell them? Look away. Anybody? Nobody does that? You, you look at the shot, you're dumb. <laughs> that is a classic mistake, right? Like when I go to the doctor, I'm just going to tell you, two weeks ago I went to the doctor, this might be TMI for you, and I got the thing done to make sure you not have any more babies. And so I did that, and now I'm talking to men about it. And, and I, I love talking to people about it now that I got it done, because I can tell them how bad it was and make them terrified of it. And I love explaining what happened and them saying, did you watch? And I'm like, no, I didn't watch, right? What did you do? I laid on the bed and I looked up at a dot on the drop ceiling and I never took my eyes off that until he said, all done. <laughs> you don't look. He tried to talk to me one time. I said, not today, Satan, <laughs> not today. Don't talk to me. And I'm just telling you, this is what happens. You lose your patience when you take your eyes off of Jesus and you put your eyes on what's in front of you. All of a sudden, they're bigger than he is. If you would take your eyes off of what's in front of you, there were stones coming at him. There's not one time in the story that he, he gives us his reaction. Ouch! Oh! That was a big one. None of that's in there. The Bible says he takes his eyes off of the ones that are accusing him and throwing stones at him. What does he do? He looks at Jesus. You ever find out, figure out in your life how much uh, less painful and how less of a big of a deal stuff is when you're in the presence of Jesus? Like life was really bad this week and really difficult and you came into the presence of Jesus and all the things of this world fade away. I I'm telling you, there's, there's something to it. Like some of you, you keep losing your patience, but because you keep taking your eyes off of the one who will give it to you. Let me just give you one, one more thought that, that I think is important. We lose our patience. This one is, is important, where we least trust God. This is, where, where you lose your patience is often an indicator of areas where you have a hard time trusting God. So if you lo lose your patience, you know, in monetary ways, job-related, money-wise, I, I do a lot. I preach about how God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and, you know, he has you know, as much money as I could ever need to accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish, and he'll make a way, and at church, I preach that, and you know, all these things, but the truth is, in the situation, when it's happening, I'm like, I don't know, what are you doing, God? Why, why do I, why, why is that financial problem in my life right now? Take care of it, and it's problem. the truth is, when I lose my patience, I'm having a hard time in those situations trusting God's goodness. Is God good? Is he gracious? Can he provide? Will he make a way where there seems to be no way? Where, where he do that? The Bible says he will. I either trust him or I don't. When I get impatient with my kids, and I don't have time for that. You ever notice how many times you do that with your kids? You're raising kids who, by definition, are required to act ridiculous. They're kids. That's how they act. Now, I'm not saying I want to raise little, you know, juvenile delinquents. And I'm okay when they, no, no, we have ex expectations, but the amount of times that I tell them something and they do it anyways, and they make the mistake again, and they spill something again, and they break something again, and I get mad at them, and I'm losing my patience, and all these things, and it's like, do I trust God or not? Did God give me these kids to slow me down because this is the best time of my life or not? 
Is this, this the time that I'm supposed to be, you know, fully engaged in my family and, and all the, or, or not? Do I trust God here or not? At work, do I trust God or not with my health? You ever get into a situation, you notice in your health where something comes up and it's, it's like something you didn't want to deal with and you're like, God, why would you do this? In the midst, I was just about to accomplish this and hit this goal and come like this. Do you trust that God is the author and perfecter of your faith and your time or not? Like your, your, your response of impatience is often, if you're honest with yourself, an indicator of where you struggle to trust God. And I love, I love what, what he says because he doesn't stress out at all. The Bible says as he's looking at Jesus, that he sees him standing up at the right hand of God. I love that picture because I think that was a moment in time that never happened again in Scripture. Not one other time to tell us that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. It always says what? Says what? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And I think this was a moment where he saw Jesus and he went, okay, I don't understand everything that's going on. And I don't really like this. This hurts. But I trust him. I see that in every situation that when I'm struggling, he's standing. He's standing over it. He's in authority. I'm under his control. And I don't like what's going on. But I can patiently endure this because Jesus patiently endured the cross. And I started thinking about how you begin to just dive into patience. And uh, I started thinking about my own life with my kids, where I lose it the most. Let's just be honest. Where you lose your patience the most? People you're around, my kids. You know, for me, people I pastor, you guys, not you, other services. Um, really, you're the best service. And so uh, situations in my life right now, the things that were going on in church, the construction, I'm not the most patient person in the world. Uh, driving, you know, all these things. And I started thinking, okay, well, how do I develop the type of patience I'm supposed to have? Because I want this to be a testimony. Of, I want my patience to be like Jesus. And this thought hit me. Be invested and study and understand the extent of God's patience with you. And when you understand the level of God's patience with you, the natural overflow is patience with other people. So let me just explain something to you. How many of you in this place, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but let's be honest, you had a week that you're not proud of. You said some things that you shouldn't have said. You responded in a way, you know, that if somebody was watching, you, you know, like, I probably shouldn't respond like that. It doesn't match my faith. You had an argument with your spouse and you said something you probably shouldn't have said because you had to run after you said it, right? And so uh, you made mistakes. And the truth is, if you, weighed, if you weighed out all the things you've done and there was a perfect God waiting here to meet you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be here. Like, he, like it, if you came into this place and perfection was the requirement, you would have been stopped at the door and told to go home. But God's patiently allowed you to walk into this place. You ever think about that? When you come to church, like, I can't believe I'm allowed to go back here again. I think about that sometimes when I preach. Like, when I was preparing this message today to get ready to preach at 4.30 this morning, I was practicing it. I thought to myself, I probably shouldn't preach this. And then I remembered, I don't preach this because I'm adequate or good or I've accomplished this or I'm perfect. I preach this because God is a grace-filled God that uses idiots. And I am definitely qualified if he uses idiots. And so when you, when you want to come into this place, I came here today, we started singing that song about I believe. And all of a sudden you're like, I, I can't believe that I get to serve this God that is patient with me. That his love endures for me. 
that his mercies are new every morning. And when you understand his patience for you, all of a sudden, that patience is coming in. This thing called gratitude comes. You know what I'm talking about? It's when you turn that frown upside down. Some of you need to do that right now. You're in church. You shouldn't be here. God loves you more than you can imagine. And he lets you in here in spite of how ridiculous you are. It's impossible to frown in that understanding. It's impossible to be silent when you want to sing. Joy fills your heart. And all, all of a sudden, because you're filled with joy, you walk out of this place. And gratefulness exudes from you. And all of a sudden, you're giving patience out like candy. You get patience. You're like Oprah, right? Giving gifts away. And you get patience. And you get patience. And you're going to get some patience. Why? Because I got patience. I've received God's patience. And it matters. I'm just telling you, it matters. You want your kids to love Jesus? It's not church. It's you. Patience. You want to have a marriage that exudes Christ-likeness? It's, you didn't marry the wrong person. God put them in your life to teach you patience. Can I get an amen? <laughs> My wife's not in here right now, so I say that. It's true though. You're at work. You're like, I, just, I can't do it. God gave you those people at your work to teach you patience, but he's teaching you patience through how he's interacting with you. Patience is important. It preaches. Patience preaches. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I started thinking about that in this place because some of you are like, how do I know God's patient with me? Well, he, he allowed you to come in here. He got you here again. You've done everything you can to run from him and to live life on your own. And you've made, let's, let's just be honest, life-altering decisions and mistakes. And somehow, this God is still pursuing you. You've rebelled. You've tried to handle life on your own. You've messed everything up. That's what happens when we try to live life on our own, by the way. That's not a surprise. You're not messed up because you've messed up. That's what happens. We were never made to live this life on our own. We are not equipped to handle what comes at us on our own. Only he is. Only he is. And he's a God of patience, friend. His Bible says that he patiently endured the cross for the joy set before him. And I love that, here's why. The joy set before him was people. Some of you never even heard that before. Like when you were born, there wasn't joy there. There wasn't love there. You've never known what it feels like to have somebody actually find joy in being around you. you you've always felt like a mistake. You've always felt like an out, outcast. You've struggled with feelings of being unwanted you've been neglected you've only ever felt impatience that impatience taught taught you you're stupid you're always going to be messed up why are you so annoying you struggle with that but there's a god that loves you that's not tired of you in fact he made you he made you just the way that you are because he has a purpose and plan for your life that maybe you haven't even figured out yet. But the beginning of that purpose and plan is to receive a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. He sacrificed his life for you. And he did that because he finds joy in you. That you have purpose. That you're not a mistake. 
that he has a good plan for your life, that if your heart is still beating, that my Bible tells me that God can still do something wonderful in and through your life. You're not too far gone. You haven't made too many mistakes. You're not too disgusting. You don't have too much shame. Jesus can change you. He can heal you. And he's done everything. He said on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work to get back to God is finished through the finished work of Jesus Christ, but you have to receive it. It's like a gift. It's called the good news, the gospel. Everyone's sin falls short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death and hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord for anyone who calls on him. For if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he would save you, that he would heal you, and he would make you whole. So with nobody looking around in this moment, maybe you would say, that's me. Never know what it, what it feels like to have somebody patient with me, find joy in me, love me, see me for who I am, think I have something to give this earth and offer this earth. Never felt that before, but for the very first time, I'm hearing the words of Scripture, and I believe what you're saying, and today I want to start a relationship with that God through Jesus Christ. If that's you all over this place or in Montgomeryville and you say, hey, that's me. You're speaking to me. I didn't even know you could speak to me. There's so many people in this room, but it feels like you're talking just to me right now. That's the spirit of the living God. It has nothing to do with me. That's the spirit of the living God, and he wants a relationship with you right now. If you would just stop running and accept him, he would come in and change everything. So come on, if that's you all over this place, and you say, hey, that's me. No one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, hey, that's me. You're talking to me right now. I want the love of God in my life. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, both here in Montgomeryville, if that's you, with a lot of faith, a little bit of courage. Would you shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, you're speaking to me right now. You're speaking to me right now. If you're in Montgomeryville, would you just in that moment, in that room, say, hey, that's me. Would you put your hand up, and they'll let me know all the way in Phoenixville right now. If you're online. And uh, you would say, that's me. You're with the moderator there in our online service. So you would just type in the chat. I'm responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ right now. The enduring, patient love of God. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else who would say, hey, pastor, that's me. Hey, would you clap for the person in Montgomeryville? Let's let them hear us all the way in Phoenixville. Let's just begin to pray. Jesus Christ, we thank you for coming into this place. We thank you for your patience with us, never giving up on us, never seeing us for who we are, what we've done, but Lord, Lord, seeing us for what you did for us on that cross. Lord, dying for our sins and coming back from the grave and defeating both death and hell. And so Jesus, we know when we put our faith in you, when we begin to follow you, that you change everything. Lord, you heal, you make whole, you set free, you give a purpose. Lord, you give us the ability to forgive those who have hurt us because you have forgiven us and set us free. And Lord, we pray right now that you would fill those that are receiving you with joy, with peace, and with love. Lord, we thank you, Father, that as we leave this place, Lord, that we will leave this place and desire to be a reflection of the patient God that we serve. Lord, that we would be filled with you. Lord, fill the Holy Spirit would fill us up all the way up. That we would focus and fix our attention on you in every situation. And Lord, that we would begin to trust you in all things. That's what the Bible says. Lean not on your own understanding. God, in all our ways, we'll acknowledge you. And you will make our path straight. 
And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you would move over the rest of these services that we're going to have. Move at our other campus in Montgomeryville. God, continue to move through social media and online this week. And, Lord, we pray right now specifically that you would continue to move in our lives. Lord, when we leave this place, that you would work in us and through us to reach those that still feel far from you. In Jesus' name that we pray. And one more time, let's shout amen together. Let's clap together one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.